And welcome back. Here is the second part of our special two-part episode for the top 10 movies of 2019. Here we go on our numbers five through one. All right, Alex, what's your number five? So number five, all right, halfway through. Um, it's uh, the band Ithaca with their album, The Language of Injury. Um, this is a female-fronted metalcore, mathcore album. Uh, I, I'm generally not too much of a fan of metalcore. I used to be a little bit more into it um, when I was younger and like in high school, um, kind of getting into like Under Oath and whatnot. And as I lay dying, but as I got older, I got more into more of the extreme side of metal, I guess. Um, and kind of left metalcore in the dust. But kind of coming back to the genre, and and with the added uh, bonus of getting some mathcore and like post-hardcore and stuff like that in there, this this one stuck with me. Um, this is another one where it's it's this is their band's first full-length album. Uh, they've got a couple EPs, um, but this is their full first full-length and kind of like song they really i mean they just hit it it's great it's aggressive it's really heavy it kind of with the math core element it's really kind of a bit manic and all over the place and a bit crazy but um never to the point where it just completely loses you it's just a really solid opening album um for the band um i think this was released on uh the holy roar uh record label which i'm getting into a little bit over this year after uh, kind of checking out this album and with it being female fronted it's kind of something different than a lot of other metalcore bands which are primarily just entirely you know have a male uh, just all male members um so not only for it not only to have a female in in the band but to have her do the vocals is something, is something pretty cool um and yeah she's incredible like just awesome yeah the vocals are, are really good the guitar is amazing. You got a bunch of riffs that are just that worked really well. Um, so yeah, this is another. If you want something a little bit more aggressive and a little more in your face, uh, as far as metal goes, this is a good option to go with. Yeah, I uh, I can't say I've dabbled too much in metal, uh, but this does this does sound like one that if I were to look into it, I would uh, check it out. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Like I said, it, it's it's really good. Um, you know, maybe not the best intro to metalcore specifically. Um, I think there are probably other bands that have done it better, but this one's this was really good. Yeah, I'd say yeah. If if you want to check it out, you know why not? The cover isn't unfortunately too great. I don't really care for the cover very much, but if you can look past that and get into the actual music you'll like it maybe i'm surprised you actually don't like the cover it looks very uh homages to uh, a lot of like uh vertigo from alfred hitchcock you know you got a wonderful pink blade right there some nice uh cut-ups of um looks like you know the female band members in the back there it's i think there's something very poetic about that yeah i mean it's not a bad album cover by any means it's just i don't know even like looking over like my top 10 list it's probably the one i like the least but homage to alfred hitchcock stuff aside it's it's okay it's, it's all right <laughs> all right nate so what is your number five uh my number five is todd phillips's a uh, joker so uh, you know the internet and everybody else out there has praised the wahoozles out of this movie you know joaquin phoenix is gonna win every award we get that um this is the reason why I like this. This is a different endeavor from DC on what they're trying to do here. It, it's not completely canon with what we've seen in DC comics and who are DC fans and familiar with the Joker's background. It's doing something different, innovative, jarring, and I love it for what it's doing. When I first saw it, I could see all the references to, you know, a lot of these 70s movies like The King of Comedy, Network, uh, Taxi Driver kind of being ran through this. But there is a, an interesting narrative at play and what it's trying to evoke empathy for this character, um, Arthur Flick, who Joaquin Phoenix does a stellar job of creating one of the most disturbing and most challenging performances I've ever seen on the screen. 
and and seriously, I think what Todd Phillips is doing here is not creating a character that you like or are rooting for or a character that you completely hate, but just an experience of what it's like to live in this guy's world and just what would drive him to this kind of break. Everybody just yells and screams at each other. Nobody's civil anymore. Nobody thinks what it's like to be the other guy. You think men like Thomas Wayne ever think what it's like to be someone like me? To be somebody but themselves, they don't. They think that we'll just sit there and take it like good little boys, that we won't werewolf and go wild. You finished? I mean, there's so much self-pity, Arthur. You sound like you're making excuses for killing those young men. Not everybody, and I'll tell you this, not everyone is awful. You're awful, Murray. Me? I'm awful? Oh, yeah? How am I awful? Playing my video. Inviting me on the show. You just wanted to make fun of me. It's just, it was just one like of those movies of where from beginning to end, you felt tension. And it's just, I like this kind of stuff. When DC does this kind of stuff, it just shows that it doesn't have to follow like this uh, cookie cutter, you know, superhero genre, especially if it's tackling a villain. This kind of one off in Denver just makes it something completely, you know, on its own. And I don't know. I'm I'm kind of excited. I when I saw this movie, I think if anything, the, there's stuff about this that I can see the problems with it. But I like just how confident and how it just owns this perspective. I loved the performances. I loved uh, the the directing of this was great as well. And I don't know. It's it was just my number five. Awesome. So uh, moving on, my number five is Crawl. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! Directed by Alexandra Aja. When a huge hurricane hits her hometown in Florida, Haley ignores evacuation orders to look for her father. After finding him badly wounded, both are trapped by the flood. With virtually no time to escape the storm, they discover that rising water levels are the least of their problems. It's a big crocodile. It's really? a this... big-ass crocodile. This, this, this one? <laughs> this one. This is the one. I was wondering when someone was going to comment about what the hell is this doing on your list, Joe? I was like, I was like, crawl. I was like, no, not, no. Yes, we already know uh, Joe. Yeah. He loves schlocky B-rated movies shot on an A movie scale. We did an entire podcast on this, and this fits the bill. I mean, I can't say that I'm surprised. I guess, but as far as good old fashioned B movie creature feature fun, it doesn't get much better than this, guys. I, okay. I know. I've actually heard quite a lot of good things about this movie. Like, it does fit the bill very well, and it takes it to an extra notch it's not like some deep thoughtful movie it's not some big character piece it's it's a movie about someone trapped in a basement and there are killer crocodiles out there the crocodiles are freaking monsters in this movie it, this is a monster flick this is a creature feature and as, as yeah. far as that goes we, we i don't feel like we get something like this all that often we get lots of movies that are that we get lots of movies that try to be this but this is one of the few genuine articles, you know, like this movie is just pure unadulterated B movie goodness, but shot on the A movie level with good actors, good tension, good set design, good writing. Like, like it's, it's, it's a movie executed exactly as it should be very well. And there, there is no sense of humor about it. It is frightening. It is tense. It is fun. Mm -hmm. No, I think what just makes this work is because it, it is a very basic story of them just trapped during a, a monsoon hurricane and there's crocodiles and they got to get out to safety or to drier land. And yeah, it's just those stakes. I, I appreciate a movie that executes a simple premise extremely well. And that's what this movie does. It zeroes in on what it's good at. And it says, all right, here is the story. This is the premise. What can we do in this sandbox of a premise? And let's just do that to the best of our abilities. And that is what this movie does. So kudos to them for making a, a fantastic little piece of uh, B-movie entertainment that's just done well. Yeah, it just, it just it warms your heart, Joe. 
that someone would do this just for you. It does. Um, and I'm I'm also thankful that the movie finally came out because I was sick and tired of seeing this damn trailer after, before every single oh. movie for like an entire year. Yeah. <laughs> there was well, a lot of advertisement for this for a long time. They advertised the hell out of this movie. I got yeah. sick of it. I In the theaters, I, I want nothing more than for the trailer to be over because I've seen it so many times. And probably by for a lot of other folks, they're like, man, okay, if I see this trailer again, I'm just going to go see the movie if it if it means that much, internet. Anyway, that is my number five. No apologies, no regrets. All right, fair. All right, Alex, what's your number four? All right, so number four, we got Cairn with, uh, by Mismore. Um, this is a Doom, Sludge, Drone, Black Metal album. Blends them all together. It's slow, it's plotting, it's heavy. It's somewhat like their the artist's uh previous album uh yod it's y-o-d-h so i don't know how you're gonna throw that h in there but it's like their previous album uh which i absolutely loved uh it was one of my favorites of the year actually makes it into my like top 50 albums of the decade but this one is a little slower it's a little more plodding than yod was um but as I've gotten it more into kind of like um, slower metal, specifically like funeral doom metal, this one works well for me. Going back to what I was saying, talking about like atmospheric black metal stuff, I do like albums that really can create a heavy, thorough atmosphere throughout the album, which which this one does. It deals a lot with um, the, it's a one-man project, and it deals a lot with the artist trying to make something and find his way in life after leaving um, his faith um, and trying to kind of find meaning and find purpose in the world. And that's, I I think that's a really great and interesting topic to really fully explore Um, the genres that are, that he uses, I think work really well with it. Um, So yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is a this is a heavy album. This is not one that's really easy to break into. I, I recommended it to another friend of mine, and this was out of like a long list of metal albums from this year. And this one was the one that he was like, "Yeah, this is it's just too slow for me." So if you do have the patience to sit through it, it is it is, does clock in at just under an hour long with four track. But I I think it's it's. It's a re- it's a rewarding album to kind of really get through and to be able to sit with and really just let it kind of overtake you as you really get pulled into and like crushed by the atmosphere of the album and just how heavy it is, uh, both in musically and uh, thematically. So you definitely recommend this for those who like a feel good movie, huh? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, get your Starbucks coffee. You know, just pump some is moron, and yeah, just go at it. If your favorite movie is Pixar. You'll love this. Oh yeah, I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for having crawl on your top ten list. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate. What's your number four? Oh, my number four is the. Uh, Ninth film from the wonderful Tarantino, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I think I've said this before. This is probably one of the best of Tarantino's films of his career, and it is the least like of Tarantino in style. But the thing is about this is that I think a lot of people go in expecting, uh, like, you know, what we've been used to seeing with Tarantino, which is like Inglorious Bastards, uh, Django Unchained. But when you sit down and you actually pay attention to what's going on here, this it's very nostalgic and it's very deep at the same time. I mean, it's so weird that I can say, like, watching Brad Pitt drive on the highway back to his trailer for five minutes is just something that I thoroughly enjoyed. And really, that's all that Tarantino is doing in this film is he's recreating a time period back in 1969 in Hollywood of this transition of when you saw television entering the scene, actors trying to find their way in the whole movie industry. There's just a lot of great stuff in here. Um, some of the stuff that still sticks out in my mind, I mentioned you know, Brad Pitt driving home to feed his dog two cans of dog food while he makes mac and cheese. But everything from like the posters in his room, to the driving theater he's parked behind, to the ads that are playing on the TV that he has, is just, it's capturing a time period that is just long and forgotten, where that noise, that sound, is just something that sticks with you. And even like the actual story itself, how it's all wrapped around, you know, the Shannon Tate and the Charles Manson, you know, murders. That was one thing going in. I thought, I really hope 
Tarantino is a bit more tasteful with this because he does do something interesting with this. And really, a lot of people said this is like the buildup to a big gag. And it kind of is, but I almost feel Tarantino, what he does in this is very, it's appropriate. And it's hard for me to say that, but for anyone who has not seen it, give this movie a shot. It is quite on the long end, and the ending is really the only time you'll ever really get like a big Tarantino bloodbath that you're hoping for. But it's a very entertaining movie. And kind of, Alex, in the same sense, like you've been introducing all these albums to us, it's just something you just sit there and you soak in. And I don't know, it's just, it's a it's rewarding on that kind of an end. And yeah, I, I think all the actors in this just do their darndest. Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, this is the first time they've ever been in a movie together. And I keep forgetting that. And they work so well. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> no, yeah, I think we talked about this one on the podcast, too, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, and if you want to hear our further thoughts, I would direct you to our podcast episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That we also did with Hobson Shaw. That's right, we did. <laughs> we did a double feature for that because what better way to do a Tarantino review when you do it as a Grindhouse double feature? Exactly. All right, my number four pick is Alita Battle Angel. We're someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. Hey, what's your problem? You can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. So you must be from up there. And I'm just an insignificant girl. Yeah, that's what they want you to think. So I watched this movie initially, um, had a blast with it. I think Rodriguez's style works fantastically for this kind of movie. I love that he worked with James Cameron with this movie. I think that helped him out a lot because Rodriguez gets to go crazy with his over-the-top, super stylized imagery, world-building. Uh, but Cameron helps him kind of chisel down the story into something relatable. I'm not always a fan of James Cameron's style of heartthrob, emotional storytelling. I think it doesn't work terribly well in stuff like uh, Avatar or Titanic, but obviously there's a, there's an uh, audience for that kind of stuff. But I think I think he he helped Rodriguez bring that kind of sensibility to this sort of story, which has a lot of kick-ass action, has a lot of kick-ass. Uh, visual effects um but you care about the characters in this i care about alita in this this movie i'm curious where she's going that uh, rosa salazar who plays alita i think she does a great job of bringing about this sort of innocence in a character who is trying to figure out who she is but has very strong convictions at the same at the same time so after i watched the movie for the first time i went back i read pretty much all of the mangas <laughs> 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 and then I remember, and then, and then I went back to rewatch the movie, and then I got it on Blu-ray and rewatched it again. And uh, this is another one that's fairly long. Uh, well, I mean, long as in it's 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 just over two hours long, but it's it's a fun ride of a watch. Um, honestly, Joe, I, I was going to kind of say something about this that. Uh... I think this was a, the biggest worry, I think, for a lot of people who were going into this movie, that this was, you know, another attempt to try and bring anime to the West again. Um, and, you know, that we've seen a, quite a few attempts and failures at it, but there is something that you comment on where, you know, James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez complement each other in, you know, just the, the whole wackiness of the premise, but also just the tenderness of the premise as well. And both help each other let those shine through in the best way. Yeah, and if you watch the behind the scenes making of stuff and everything that, that you hear about the making of this movie, it really was a true collaboration. It's not one of those things where uh, I know that there was some drama behind the scenes of the new Terminator movie where James Cameron was involved as producer and he was working with some of the directors. And I hear that there was a lot of drama behind the scenes. He was clashing with them. There was kind of a power struggle. From what I understand, there's none of that in Alita. It was James Cameron had this vision for a movie that he wanted to make for years. Mm -hmm. Then he handed it off to Robert Rodriguez along with all his notes. And Robert Rodriguez did his damnedest to make a James Cameron movie, basically, but still with a Robert Rodriguez sensibility. Yeah, I mean, there's all those like little trademarks that Rodriguez has had in all of his other movies that you see, like the bar scene. Um, I also think just like the 
the roller derby racing slash fest is just that's just pure Rodriguez right there. Yeah, and he brings in all of the Rodriguez regulars. You know, uh, you know, Jeff Fahey is in the movie. Michelle Rodriguez pops into the movie briefly. So yeah, it's it's definitely identifiable as his movie, but it's also identifiable as James Cameron movie. This is a beautiful collaboration. I want them to make a sequel because this is such a great little movie. I want to see more? Please, Disney, revive the Elite Battle Angel series. Yeah, we need more of that. We need more cyborgs. You know slashing each other this movie was more violent than i thought it was going to be so many people lose their limbs and faces well, yeah but they're cyborgs so that doesn't count you know i know but there's still people I, are more. they humans get get like decapitated and, and sliced up in this movie too they do they do so it is pretty high yeah all right alex what's your number three all right so number three um so 2019 was kind of a year that I really more got into um, Screamo as a genre. So interesting that my number three pick is an album titled 2020 by the band Shin Guard. Um, so like I said, this is Screamo. It's got a bit more on the heavier side than some Screamo records as it got as it does have some like emo violence elements in it. But this was an early contender for me for album of the year. Um, this was released back in February um and this one just immediately struck me i remember listening to it for the first time and just kind of uh blown away i think i think i listened to the band's um collaborative album with for your health called death of spring which is also a really solid album um and i liked that one so i checked out their their for their uh, latest full length which was this and this one really really got to me on on it it just it's very aggressive. It's it's very heavy, like I said, for a Screamo album. Um, but it doesn't go all the way into more of like a... It doesn't really go into like a metalcore or grindcore or power violence kind of uh, tone. It definitely still... It still falls squarely into the to the Screamo category. But um, yeah, this one was... This one was really good. It's, re- it's a short album. Um, only... 26 minutes you know with eight tracks so it's you know real quick jaunt to get through but it's um it's very passionate it's you you can really hear it dripping off all of the, all of the songs um i think the the best ones in my opinion are the opening track motorcade or and later on you have kennedy uh i think those are probably my favorite tracks off the album um but yeah, like I said, if you're interested in more of like the heavier side of Screamo, this is this is a this is an album that you can really get into and really latch onto. Um, for a rather newer band as well, this was their second full length album. Uh, one of you know their three, if you count their their uh, split album that I mentioned earlier. So the the band's still in kind of their infancy, and hopefully they stick it out. As with a lot of Screamo bands, um, they tend to release maybe an album or two and then just disappear and break up so i'm hoping these guys will stay together for for a good while longer at least to put out a couple more albums yeah i mean if they don't scream too much then (laughs) they'll keep their voices you know yeah well there wasn't there was a band back in i think it was the either late 90s or early 2000s called jerome's dream and their singer did not use a mic Oh, so literally he was just projecting all the time. Yeah, wow. he would just scream his absolute lungs out for his for like shows and stuff like that. So they didn't last long, as you can probably imagine. Um, so I mean that's the case. That's that's kind of the only case where they literally just screamed too hard and the headband had to break up. That's oh beautiful. <laughs> what a yeah. way to go out. Yeah. All righty, Nate. What's your number three? All right, number my number three is a a, a surprise pick. Um, and this was like in the last few days as I was trying to like catch up on like all these Netflix movies and movies I have not seen because there's just so many. This was a a random find, and I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. It is a French animated film by one of the writers of Amelie, and it is called I Lost My Body. Oh, 
I've heard of this recently, and mm -hmm. uh, I think I need to see this. You do. Honestly, Joe, I think you really do. Just the trailer alone might pique your interest. It's it's kind of weird and macabre in, in its premise and how it first starts out, but at the core of it, it is a, a boy meets girl story. Um, this, this guy who is orphaned, and he finds this girl who works at a library, and we see a relationship blossom, but that's not how it starts off. Literally, if you look at the trailer, and might provide a link, we'll see. Um, it starts off with a, his severed hand breaking out of a laboratory and crawling its way back to him. And that's half of the movie, is this hand coming to life and it crawling back to its owner. It sounds amazing. It, it, but this is so interesting, is that from the very beginning, you are invested. I'm, I was surprised how invested I was. As weird as the premise was, I was like... I, I should not be liking this. This should not be as good as it is. And it's, it, there's just so much in there and just a lot of just the, the commitment and how they use that motif of the hand of the, you know, the sensory memory of touch and just how that is part of your identity and how to lose that is kind of almost something that you regret and dread. And that says a lot about this kid in his relationships in life and his decisions he's made. And I don't know. I mean, for such a simple story, for such a weird premise, I was not expecting to be as good as it was, but the animation is gorgeous. It's very stark and it's bold at the same time. It it's it's terrifying at moments as well. I mean, more than just like a hand just crawling like, you know, the thing from the Adams family, there are scenarios this hand gets involved in that you become really emotionally concerned and worried. Like it really gets suspenseful at times. But there's elements throughout it that uses sound, that uses just noise, that just uses just very quiet moments where there's no talking at all, but it's some very powerful imagery going on. And I don't know, I'm a huge animation uh, lover and something like this that just popped out of nowhere and just caught me by surprise just for everything that it was just throwing at in the story. I just thought it was genius. So I, it was a very, very well-received pick for me for number three yeah i this only came on my, on my radar probably within the last week and i already know that i need to see this movie so i'm excited to check it out i'd say maybe your your daughter might actually like this as well i say give it a shot i'm not trusting you with that no don't don't that's a joke <laughs> all righty my number three is John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Now I'm getting into the stuff that everyone can agree on. Mm -hmm. No idea what's coming. Mr. Wick broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. John Wick, excommunicado, is now in effect. So this movie opens up pretty much paying off the setup of the end of John Wick Chapter 2, which is John Wick's on the run, and everybody in the world is an assassin, and they're all out to get him. And this movie is just, it, 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 it opens with a bang, with him, you know, basically on the run from every single assassin. He's running from fight scene into fight scene. And the movie never stops. It just kind of keeps barreling on through. It, it slows down a couple of moments, but I think you kind of need to take a breather every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But the reason I love this movie so much is because they escalate everything up to 11 with this movie. The John Wick movies have already been well-made, well-choreographed action films. Mm -hmm. And this one just goes all out. It's almost like a slapstick comedy at times where everything becomes a weapon. Books become weapons. Horses become weapons. <laughs> Dogs become weapons. <laughs> Dogs become weapons. They and break through every single piece of glass that any building can offer. Which is the sheer creativity of this movie. There's a, a fight scene early on where John Wick is in a narrow hallway with walls just lined with knives. And like right. human pincushions in this movie. <laughs> I know, I know. It's at, at that scene. I know what scene you're talking about. I'm watching this. I'm like, okay, there's only two ways this can go, and neither look positive for either party. So, 
let's see what happens. Yeah, you already love the character John Wick from the previous two movies. This one just shows you how far they can take things. And on, on top of that, you know, the choreography is beautifully shot. You can see everything that's going on. You can see all the hard work that went into getting these 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 actors in shape. The characters are colorful. They're all fun. You got the uh, uh, the sushi guys towards the end. You got some actors from the raid are are in this are in this movie. You get to see them do their do their things. So there's there's a wide variety of styles of fighting, but there's also just a variety in what kind of things can happen in this film, and it's just wonderful. So yeah, I, I absolutely love John Wick Chapter 3. It is my favorite of the John Wick films. I know, I know a lot of people have critiqued the story as just kind of, kind of like it's so relatable to have the first one where it's, oh, vengeance for his dog's death. And this one kind of gets a little bit more into the underworld and the world building of the background of all the John Wick stuff. Uh, for me, that stuff worked, though. The, the, these films have been, these films have always been silly. And yeah, we're delving a bit more into the the silly backstory of, oh, now there's an adjudicator and there's all these different levels of bureaucracy in this crime world, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. I I guess just my thought is like, they definitely do set up for another sequel after this one. And I'm almost kind of wondering how how much deeper can we go with the, the John Wick lore? Cause I don't know, this kind of went pretty far and I'm like, how much further can we go? It's interesting. I was talking to, I I think it was Chad Stileski. He was talking in an interview about this. How it's basically don't don't expect a satisfying ending to any of the John Wick movies. As far as he's concerned, they could cut it off at any time, and he'd be perfectly happy with it because, in in his mind, John Wick is damned from the first movie. He there is no happy ending for John Wick, and he said he said that every movie is going to end with him either on the run or eventually dead because he's killed so many people over the course right. of these movies I know. And he, he basically said like, there is no happy ending for this guy. He's killed too many people. He can't have a happy ending. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be either open endings uh, or just a flat out death. Um, and because this guy has no plans to continue it. I'm, I'm like, I'm sure they'll, they'll keep making them, but as far as each movie, he has no overall plan of where they're going to go. It's just always, yeah, John Wick is screwed. <laughs> no, but I do agree with you. This is probably of all three movies, this is the one that's just shot and choreographed at its prime. I mean, I thought the second one got like topped the first one, but this one just went even a little bit further. Yeah, and it introduced a lot of really fun concepts. Uh, it's it's just I don't know. It's 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 a well made, very fun action movie. All right, Alex, give us your number two. Number two, number two. We're back at it again with some more. Atmospheric black metal. This- <laughs> oh, gee, what a surprise. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> who guess? But this time, it's mixed with depressive black metal. Oh, gee, what a surprise. <laughs> um, You're really selling this. Yeah. It's the album uh, Damn Chill of Life by Nun. Uh, it's a U.S.-based um, uh, depressive atmospheric black metal band. Uh, this is their fir- their third full length album. Um, they came across my radar uh, last year. Yeah, life has gone on long enough. Was their uh, previous album? As get as I got into you know atmospheric black metal and kind of exploring a little bit more of you know black metal subgenres and whatnot. Right, depressive black metal was another one that I I latched onto. Um, as it creates just a very crushing, oppressive kind of wall of sound. Just this hopeless atmosphere yeah but these guys do it these guys are do it very well you know um kind of with a, with a few other bands uh in my list you know it's it's the it's still an early album for them so um but for them to hit their second album i haven't listened to that i don't think i listened to their first but them to hit their second albums and do so well and then for to you know to keep on and do you know, incredibly well on their third album um, is really a testament to how really kind of their focus and, and how well they really work as a band. Because, yeah, this album, while I don't think it's as good as um, their previous Life Has Gone On Long Enough, um, it's still incredibly solid. Um, it's still a very good example of um, what some very chilling, um, atmospheric, depressive black metal can be. Um, it has like some 
incredible, like almost staticky wall of sound um, guitars. The vocals are set pretty far back and everything just works. The ambient passages, um, while they can sometimes drag on for other bands, the, these guys make make use of them really well and kind of give you a break from the, um, I guess, just hopelessness. <laughs> um even with it being a you know black metal album um i it's still kind of wall of sound it's still you know atmospheric enough that i can even like put this on and fall asleep to it it sits back kind of comfortably um and just kind of envelops you in this incredibly cold atmosphere it, the the um, album cover is really, I think, a great depiction of kind of like what you you know can really expect from uh, from the album itself. So I think, yeah, this is this is an incredible one. Um, it was something that uh, there's a, another YouTube channel that I watch, uh, Banger TV. They do album reviews of me- a bunch of metal, and uh, one of my favorite hosts, um, Blaine Smith. Uh, this was also his album of the year, um, and I yeah I couldn't agree with him. It's it's just it's. It's incredible. It's fantastic. It's it's something that you know after you kind of really get into it and listen to it, um, uh, you know, a good few times, you can put it on the background, but you know, it'll still captivate you and still hold you. And um, as bleak as it is, it's it's still wonderful. <laughs> I think the one thing that's still sticking out in my mind, Alex, is the fact that you said you fall asleep to this. Like... Yeah. Yeah, I, not not so much anymore. But yeah, I've fallen asleep to this record. Yeah, you can I can put it on and just have it playing in the background and fall asleep. Yeah. All right, Nate. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is a movie that I guess as soon as it came out has kind of like carried with me throughout the year, and that is Jordan Peele's second horror thriller, Us. There's just a lot of stuff I love about Jordan Peele as like a, a filmmaker. The fact that you know. This guy that started out on Mad TV and in comedy just has kind of shown this underbelly of being a Wes Craven like fan of horror and thriller. And I don't know. I mean, everyone loves Get Out and for what it was doing. I think this movie takes it to the next level stylistically and just how it's shot and its premise. I think it's just a much better executed movie, in my opinion. Um for some reason, there's this like fantasy and this fairy tale element to it that I think for Jordan Peele lends itself really well to his style of filmmaking. It it brings a little bit of just uh, you know this supernatural element to it and this bit of campiness to it and silliness to it. And as I know, there's a lot of people who have problems with the whole idea of like the tethered and why are they coming up and why is this happening? And there's a lot of plot holes in that. But for some reason, I just I bought into it because. This is such an interesting orchestrated movie. And at the very end, the reveal and what happens. in Lupita Nagoyo's performance in this is stellar as well. The fact she's playing two people and two different versions of herself. One being like this mother who is fighting for her life to save her family. And this other one who is just the creepiest, like distraught and this gargling voice. For me, overall, it was just, I liked what this movie was. I like what it was tackling. And I've seen a lot of films doing this, where they were doing this whole class struggle and social commentary about that. I mean, we've seen a lot of those this year. But this one was the first one I saw do that. And it's the one that I thought did it in such a subtle way. And it stuck with me. And there's just a lot of stuff at play in it. And performances are great. The the suspense is great. Um the lighting is fantastic, and I, I don't know. This was just one that was one of my favorites from the beginning of this year. Yeah, I'll say I, I, I'm i so close to loving this movie. I, I remember when it opened up, I thought this is going to be one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and uh, I still think it's a great movie. It's just I've got too many 
issues with it here, here, here and there, logical issues, that kind of stuff. Some of the stuff you brought up before is that's kind of deal breakers for me. But I think it is a very well made movie, and it's got a lot of great things going forward yeah, for it. And I think that's a, a, like I said, a lot of people who are polarized on this movie kind of do agree. Yeah, there's plot holes and there's problems with it. But I think for me, the fact that I kind of started off with this very fairy tale kind of like almost fableish kind of a setting makes me just embrace that a little bit more. I don't know. I kind of forgive it in a way. And for me, I find the movie a lot more enjoyable, especially the ending climax. I just love that scene so (laughs) damn much. Fair enough. All right. My number two is one that you guys have talked about on the podcast, but I was not there for that episode, actually. Ah. Which is Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. Poor Jojo. What's wrong, little man? Hi, Adolf. Want to tell me about that rabbit incident? What was all that about? They wanted me to kill it. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Don't worry about it. I couldn't care less. But now they call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. Okay, so I didn't actually listen to your guys' episode. I'm glad you did. No, I'm kind of glad you did. I wanted you to kind of go in with fresh ears and eyes for this. I I wanted to go into it uh, having being as unspoiled as possible, knowing knowing the premise, but also just I was lazy and didn't listen to it after I watched the episode. I watched the movie either. (laughs) But from what I can understand, uh, Nate, I think you love this movie, and Alex, you you think it's okay? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it, but to a certain extent. Right. Yeah, and I, I did love this. It, it didn't make it to my top ten for you know reasons, um, but you, it is. There's just a lot of great stuff in this. I think uh, it's it's ten. It's ten, you'll probably comment on this. It's it's funny. It's tender. It doesn't shy away from the horrors of the war, but it does in a way that is not traumatic. This movie, uh, for for a bit of time, it was number one on my. It was my number one movie, and it's kind of gone back and forth with with the movie that will end up being my number one, which we'll get to. Um, but it, it's it's just it reminds me a lot of Life Is Beautiful, the Roberto Benigni film, uh, where it's 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 funny as all hell. Like I was laughing my ass off throughout this movie. Um, but it is a very real movie. These characters are very real characters. You, you, you feel that they have actual emotions and you, you can understand where they're coming from and how their worldviews have been warped or, or molded by their, their past. Like, like these characters have a very rich history and they feel like real people. Um, but they're popped into one of just Taika Waititi's wonderful, absurdist sense of humor um, whenever he pops up as Hitler in this movie, I just I just can't help laughing. Actually, this, yeah. this movie was funny to watch because uh, we saw it in a, it wasn't like a crowded theater, but there were a good number of people in the movie. And uh, uh, me and the guy, me and the group I was with, it was like me and two other people. We were laughing throughout the movie, and everyone else was just like dead silent, like they're like offended at the movie. <laughs> I I love that because a lot of people have kind of come out of this movie with that exact kind of reaction, where you're either gonna get the jokes and you're not gonna be afraid to laugh at the, the you know the Nazis and Hitler that Watiti is doing, or you're you are gonna be offended. But it's I I kind of agree with you, Joe. There's just something on how this material is handled. It's quite enjoyable, and you're not going to get so like bogged down. And in fact, I th- I think the fact that this is all told from the perspective of a kid is just what brings out that humor a little bit more because there's this innocence like that's preserved throughout it, and it never gets too dark or like scandalizing. And I I don't know. I think that's just what makes it so enjoyable as well. I just want to comment on the fact that uh, Sam Rockwell, mm, yes. he has made a career out of playing the abhorrent, horrible character who does a nice thing in movies. <laughs> it's his trademark now. He's realized that secures him enough for an Oscar. Yeah, between this and uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, I feel like he, he has cornered the market on terrible people who do nice things every once in a while in movies. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you kind of look at this movie with a, through a different glass and actually go into what Watiti was like he's done for each character, there's a lot that's not being told on these characters' backstory, but you kind of get what's going on on screen. There's backstory there that we never ever get to see, but 
it, when it comes through, it does shine through. Yeah, exactly. It's a hilarious movie, but it's full of cartoon characters and it's got some real raw emotion and pain within the goofs, within the jokes, within yeah. every, every, everything. Uh, so yeah, very authentic movie, very funny movie. I love Jojo Rabbit. I can't wait to get it on Blu-ray so I can watch it over and over again. Awesome. <laughs> All right, that leads to our number one, right? Yep, here we go. Before we do that, is there any honorable mentions that didn't make our list we want to just kind of shout out right now? Oh, yes, I've got a few. Uh, Alex, do you have any honorable mentions you want to highlight? Um, Sure, yeah, I can throw in a couple. Uh, as kind of uh, indicative of the top ten, a lot of metal, so a lot of uh, you know, albums by Grimma, Seer, uh, Liturgy. Uh, we got a new Pup album this year, which was really good. Uh, one of my favorite screamo bands called, and its name was Epion, uh, released a new EP, and I think it's fantastic. Um, interestingly enough, too, is they share a drummer with um, Anamanaguchi, which is interesting because it's screamo is a completely different style than what they play, but the drumming is incredible on the on the, both EPs here. So that would be my honorable mentions there. Cool. Awesome, Nate. Uh, let's see some movies that I really enjoyed didn't make the list. Uh, one of them, actually two of them being on your list, Joe, uh, Jojo rabbit, Alita battle angel. I liked rocket man, the biopic fantasy of Elton John's life. Um, Klaus, which is an animated film produced by Netflix talking about the origins of Santa Claus. That was enjoyable. And Pokemon detective Pikachu. I mean, anytime you have Ryan Reynolds, voicing a Pokemon character with a funny little hat, you're going to get my vote. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and quickly list my uh, 11 through 20 as my honorable mentions. Oh my gosh. Just pick five, man. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. 11, Dolomite is my name. 12, The Lady in the Tramp live action remake. 13, El Camino. 14, The Lighthouse. 15, Master Z, Man Legacy. 16 is Spider-Man Far From Home. 17 is Detective Pikachu. 18 is Annabelle Comes Home, 19, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and number 20 is Toy Story 4. Boom. Did it. You did it. All right. All right. So here we go. Number one, Alex, what is your number one album of 2019? All right. So number one album. This was a band that I only discovered this year, but they just, I was immediately sold. Um, It's the album Clairvoyant by State Fault. Um, these guys are a Santa Rosa, California based, uh, screamo band, but I had first listened to their previous album. They don't break the mold of what screamo does. They incorporate elements of post-rock, which is part of the course for a lot of screamo bands, but they just, they just do it so damn well. One thing that's cool about the, about the band too, is with screamo being, you know, kind of the more aggre- aggressive and harsher offshoot of, you know, emo and, you know, a little bit of hardcore punk, you know, it can be a little bit harder to get into. Um, but I think these guys provide you know, a couple of really good entry albums and, and not, not to kind of demean the albums and saying that they're only good if you're just starting into the genre and wait till you get to the actual good albums. These are incredible albums. Um, both their previous, but particularly uh, their most recent. There's there's a ton of melody, so it's easier to listen to, but it doesn't shy away from being incredibly hard hitting and um, you know at times aggressive and kind of chaotic. Um, you know, certain tracks are you know kind of go all out, but it's still kind of it's still rooted firmly in you know, in Screamo and the lyrics are incredibly great. There's a lot of, not something you find too often, I guess, in Screamo, there's some good anthems on the album, you know, stuff that you can kind of, you know, sing along to as you're, you know, driving in the car or whatever. But for these guys come out with such a strong album, um, it's incredible. Um, You know, again, when I was talking about, um, Shin Garden, you know, and how a lot of screamo bands uh, aren't don't last very long. Um, this one in particular is one I hope just stays on for years to come because just what they've put out so far is is mind blowing. It's so passionate. Going back to, I've been talking about this throughout the entire list, but 
um, the atmosphere it does create is is really incredible, um, especially with the inclusion of a lot of the you know post rock elements um, that they bring into the mix. It you know kind of breaks up the song structures a little bit, kind of adds a little bit more interludes. Although that, that's not entirely the right word to use for it, but it offers you maybe a little bit of a break from the the energy that a lot of, that the kind of vocals can really bring in. So yeah, this is an incredible album, and it's one that pretty much upon hearing it, I was kind of sold as as this being my album of the year. Um, in a year where we didn't have, for me at least, I didn't have a whole lot of albums that were really vying for the number one spot. You know, this album by State Faults, but you know, going back and listening to each one, this one was really just the kind of clear winner. So um, yeah, for this album to come out and just immediately grab hold of me in the way that the band you know structures their songs and the lyrics and the vocals are vocals are amazing incredible um yeah this was this was an incredible one this one made it onto you know with it we, even with the short amount of time that i've you know been listening to it this one made it onto my top 50 of the, of the decade wow it's, it was that good Damn, look at that. You have almost convinced me to listen to a genre of music that I think I've never showed very much interest in. <laughs> just 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 with this pitch, Alex. <laughs> just with this pitch. Awesome. I mean the fact that you said like this was a, a one time listen in your soul, that's 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 a high recommendation, man. Yeah, like I said, it's just it it just worked for me. Like it was exactly what I wanted. It it didn't have too much post rock it didn't have too little post rock it didn't it wasn't completely devoid of melody and you know hooks that i can get into but it also wasn't too light it, it was still heavy as all hell but not to the point where it was relentless to get to to, to try to get through and it's not a terribly long album i mean 36 minutes that's that's not a, that's not long at all Left, spanned across 11 tracks it's with the longest ranging from you know the opening track um, being six minutes, four, nine seconds. And the shortest track being only 54 seconds. Um, that's, that, that's, that track is a hell of a hell of a 54 seconds though. Uh, I'm, I'm really big on opening tracks kind of like hooking you into and really selling you on the album. And that's absolutely what this uh, opening track does it's called, uh, it's called Dreamcatcher part two. Um, and with it being the longest tr- track on the on the record, you do get a full sense of kind of what to expect. At, you know, absolutely album of the year for me. Awesome, or, or the decade as you mentioned, one of the top of the decade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the you, one of the top. You gotta you gotta keep that uh, standard. You know that pedestal up high. So. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a little. I think it's kind of in the back half of the of the fifty, but that it's going up against a lot of other stuff. So for it to be able to make that much of an impact in, in, you know, the few months that I've been listening to it, uh, really should, you know, kind of speaks volumes on how good it is. Cool. Excellent. All righty. Well, following up on that, Nate, what do you got for us for your number one movie of all time? Or of the year. Not of all time, of just this year. Of the year, Uh, 2019. Uh, well, this is one that you've already covered. It was your number 10, and it is my number one. It is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Um, this was a movie, like as you mentioned, in, you, as you were covering this movie, you kind of went in blind, not knowing anything about this. I was in the same case. I just heard a lot of people talking about this. I said, you know what? I'm going to buy a ticket and just go see this for myself. I never enjoyed a movie so much this year as I did with this one. It is a black comedy. It is a satire. It is a horror thriller. It is a home invasion movie. It is a social drama. It is a good just Korean film in general. It just has so much in it, and it's just done so well. There's a lot of um, Hitchcockian suspense moments in here that I think just work really well with the, the house setting. But I think just one thing I just found very refreshing about this is that it takes a a subject material that I think a lot of people in South Korea experience, which is going back to this whole class struggle and just that kind of just division that you see and just see all of that at play in this and just do it in a way that it's not so hard hitting. It just lets you experience with these characters and you see all these elements at play. And it just, there's that moment in the second act when something is revealed 
and it just becomes something completely different. And I don't know, for me, this was a very just entertaining watch. And you're just feeling a bunch of emotions all at the same time. You're scared, you're laughing, you're kind of hoping they got to get away with this, even though what they're doing is just despicable. And at the very end, you've kind of just been through this experience. And overall, it just gets to this idea that they all want to achieve this dream of living a better life. What kind of plans are they willing to set in action and what is it going to cost them? That I think just the way it just like wraps up in its climax is just one you don't see coming and it kind of leaves you a little emotionally tugged. Like I kind of felt really sad for just like what happens or how everything kind of planned out, but I couldn't expect anything better or less. And Bill John Ho, he has this, you know, he's worked on movies like Snowpiercer and The Host, but he has this like sensibility of Western style storytelling, but he also brings his like Korean filmmaking roots as well. And there's this perfect marriage that's just going on. And I, I can't describe it except that if anyone has not seen this movie yet, please give it a shot. It's just a wonderful, thrilling ride from beginning to end. There's just some funny moments as well in this and some ballsy moments as well. There's a, a part where they're poking fun at Kim Jong-un. And when you think about, okay, this movie was made in Korea, that's a pretty ballsy statement to make. So this movie just throws a lot of punches. It knows what it is. It is not apologetic for what it is. And it's, I think it's just my favorite movie of the year. All righty. So my number one movie of 2019, this was the one that was fighting with Jojo Rabbit. Eventually overtook Jojo Rabbit is Dragged Across Concrete. Directed by S. Craig Zoller. <laughs> Nate, have you seen this movie? No, but I remember you talking about this. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> of course you aren't. I I love this movie. This movie is like what three hours long, and Jeez. it's 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 long. It's slow. It takes its time. And I sat through it twice, and I will gladly sit through it again. This is a hangout movie with two kind of just despicable characters. <laughs> oh my gosh! I just think it's wonderful. It's one of them is Mel Gibson. Oh my god, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. Like I, I could watch Vince Vaughn just eat an egg salad sandwich all day after this movie, <laughs> and you kind of, you kind of do in this movie. <laughs> A single red ant could have eaten it faster. You're losing perspective and compassion. There's a reason. I'm sitting behind this desk running things, and you're out there with a partner that's twenty years younger than you. Hey, Anthony's got a mouth with his own engine, but he's solid. I'm thinking about the kind of future I can offer my girlfriend. Pops is a yesterday who ain't worth words. Good heavens and praise be to him. Your absence was a weight upon us. Thank you, Mr. Edmonton. I don't like doing things with so many question marks everywhere. That's Craig Zoller. He's the director of Bone Tomahawk and uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99. He is quickly becoming one of my favorite modern day directors. Uh, for reasons I guess we're all beginning to understand. It just has that wonderful balance of just violent humor. And Well, he, he writes books too. I haven't read any of, it, any, any of his books, but his filmmaking style reminds me of just kind of a pulp novel writer. And his movies flow like books you know you know where where, 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 you, where, you, where you can take long bits of, of, of time in between where the characters just kind of hang out and do their own thing but then it's punctuated by bits of just horrific over-the-top violence and it's very pulpy and uh it's, it's got this kind of grimy element to it but the characters are just so raw and they're real and they're, they might be scumbags but you get that they come out you, you understand the world that they're coming out of and what they're going through and it's very uh, enrapturing. Uh, most of his films are Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99. Uh, I mean, they're certainly entertaining in a what the hell are they doing in this movie <laughs> kind of a way. How did they get away with that? And I love that. They, they, like This is just his pure, unadulterated vision he's able to get onto the screen. Now, Dragged Across Concrete, I want to say less pulpy than, than the other two in that he, he doesn't go for the exploitation angle as much as he's tr just trying to make his own dirty buddy cop movie. It's it's sprawling. Again, you get you get long periods of time where characters just kind of sit in the car watching an apartment. But it's something about it is just enrapturing. And I could sit with these guys all day just watching them watch this apartment. <laughs> but then you got crazy stuff like bank robbers with 
you know, uh, talking through voice modulators, and they, they it's, it's all super stylized, and it's an incredibly tense, and just kind of grimy and dirty, and you're dragged through this world of just scumbags on both sides, you uh, know? I, I mean, honestly, one thing I was going to also mention, Joe, there's some films I didn't have a chance to see, like one of them being Uncut Gems, and I haven't finished The Irishman because I am i can't sit for three and a half hours. But one thing I'm noticing that Hollywood's kind of embracing a lot more is just like this kind of just low-life scumbag characters and them not being very apologetic for what they've done or not having that much of a redemption factor but we're just kind of following them through and it and in a way it's just it's entertaining just to watch these characters just do what they do. Well yeah, that's that's the thing about these movies and, and Director Cross Concrete especially. I've seen a lot of people uh criticizing the movie for being an oh it's like just an alt-right fantasy of Mel Gibson playing a racist cop and he's the hero of the movie. I'm like that's not really the point of the movie. These like, like these, these characters aren't portrayed as heroes. They're portrayed as characters they're the ones that you follow but it's kind of like there, there are consequences yeah. for what characters do in this movie and they, they're, they're allowed to just every character in this movie is given a platform to voice their opinions no matter how controversial they are and they're put up against characters who have differing uh, controversial opinions and you see them go up against each other and it's just kind of like it, it lets these people be people in this world and some of them are pretty terrible people yeah it's not the but, Holly- but, it's, not, it's not the hollywood style um drawn out characters where it's like yeah we're gonna see them redeem themselves at the end no you're gonna see them kind of go down this path despite how disgusting or vile it is yeah exactly it's 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 it, it, it lets the actors ah and real and i think that's uncomfortable a lot of the time and there's a lot of uncomfortable things in this movie i can imagine <laughs> I bet. Yeah, it, it just it it sticks to its guns and just plays out uh in just in just a very well done way. These these, these movies are well shot, they're extraordinarily well written. Um and when I say it's written it, when I say it's made like a novel, it's kind of like it, it, at one point you follow like like the movie pauses just to follow a side character who's basically only serves a function for one scene in the movie. But you follow her for several scenes prior to that like she has you you follow her for like 15 20 minutes and this is a side character who doesn't matter to the actual plot but it's because the scene that she comes in all of a sudden there the stakes are that much higher because you care about this character you get where she's coming from and you you don't know what's going to happen in a novel you can do that you can start a chapter with a brand new character follow them for a chapter and uh get to the scene where they serve their purpose Movies don't do that. Movies follow the main characters. So you don't just suddenly introduce another character halfway through and then just ditch them to keep on with the main characters after that, you know? Uh, and I, I like that we have a movie that, that can do that. Wow, okay. So you're number one, Dragged Across Concrete. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love this movie, and I could uh, I could watch this movie all day. Oh, we applaud you for that. <laughs> like I said, I'll, I'll definitely, I've, I've yet to watch this guy's uh, filmography, but I know his uh, films have popped up several times in our podcast and in your reviews. So, Nate, uh, Nate you have to triple feature these movies. Oh I, I want to see your reaction. <laughs> I guess, I guess I, I, I do owe you that. So, okay, for you, Joe, I will do that. When you watch Bone Tomahawk, I need to hear your reaction to that movie. <laughs> All right, so that that concludes our uh, very lengthy special uh, top 10 movies and albums of uh, 2019. Alex, where can people find you? All right, well, um, if you wanted to look over the rest of the, you know, my top 20 albums of the year, as well as a couple honorable mentions I didn't uh, bring up, um, you can find me on rateyourmusic.com under the name Half Scrim. I also... Uh, just finalized and put out my list for the my top 50 albums of the decade so you can scroll through that and uh i'll give you a spoiler it's it's a lot less metal than than what's been on my top uh my top albums for this year you can check me out there um i'm also on letterboxd also under the name half scream i believe that's how that works there um but i'm finalizing and working on um my top out top movies of the decade so i'll hopefully have that out sometime soon here man i guess joe you and i should follow suit we should make our top uh, 50 movies of the past decade i can i can, I can throw that together that'd be that wouldn't be too difficult 
Uh, Nate, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me here at Film Illiterates, uh, doing the podcasts and videos with these guys. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore Stoner underscore Films. Um, I'm also going to kind of be venturing off and doing uh, some new content this year. So once I kind of have some stuff ready to show, I might have my own website and I can direct you guys to that. But in the meantime, I'm stuck here entertaining you all. Uh, you can find me also at Letterbox at film underscore illiterate. You can also find me on Twitter uh, at Film Illiterates. And of course, you can find all of our podcast episodes and videos on filmilliterates.com or youtube.com slash filmilliterates. Uh, that concludes our uh, big old hunk of uh, episodes. And uh, we uh, keep watching movies and keep it easy. 